came up and wanted me to just remind everybody that uh, for those of you that uh, give and support the church, that there's a tithe box in the hallway, and you can also give online, uh, whichever method you choose. But thank you for your faithfulness there, and also for the giving to keep on up the giving to the missions um, uh, program, and uh, we just give you praise. You guys are so faithful, and uh, may God bless you for your faithfulness. Uh, today, as you can see here, it is Communion Sunday. Just so you know uh, from an aspect of communion here, uh, John said, how are we going to do communion today? We're going to do it like we did last month, where we're going to ask you to come forward. We have the, the cup that represents the blood of Christ in, in, in one cup, and then we have uh, another side here with the cups and there's the, the, the bread in, in each cup. So you can each take a cup of juice and a cup of bread, and we'll go back to the seats and we'll take the cup together. Just so you know that communion, in fact, how we uh, celebrate communion here at Calvary Alliance is, is that it's a, we call it an open community. What do I mean by that? It means that it's between you and the Lord. It means if you have a relationship with Christ, this is, we're told in Scripture, we're to do this in remembrance of Christ, of what he's done for us, to take the, the bread in our hand and say, gosh, this, is, this was... Bread broken for me, for what Christ has done. Christ died for me. And then the cup is the blood of Christ, represents the blood of Christ shed for us to give us life. So today, I mean, if, if uh, I know <laughs> many of you here, all, most all of you here, you know it's about your personal relationship. And if uh, we don't have a personal relationship, then today is the day you can make that sure. You can say, Lord, I want to have that personal relationship with you because I want to take this communion. I want to celebrate with my church family the bread and the cup. And uh, that's what we're going to do today. So keep that in mind as we go through today's message. Uh, we've been in the book of Acts. We've started there. We are moving kind of slow. I don't know if I'm going to go as slow as Ron might go, but we're certainly going to go uh, slow. And reason is, it's not to sort of um, try to break any records or anything like that, but it's just to ask the Holy Spirit, what is it in here that you want us to know from your word and apply it? We could stay in the first few chapters for a couple of years. There's so much actually in here from Scripture, believe it or not. Um, so I want us to, to go into chapter 2 of Acts, and I want to read these verses, starting at verse 38. Well, actually, <laughs> let's go to um, verse 36, where Paul's preaching the gospel. People have come and said, what on earth is this noise we heard? And they want to find out, and they, they find these 120 people that look, appear like they're drunk. and say, no, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. This, this is what Christ has poured out. This is what God promised, and Christ has poured out, the Holy Spirit of God. And in verse 36, he says, Peter preaching, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, both the Master and the anointed one, the Messiah. And after he, after he said that, he says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart 
And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we supposed to do? We've got this conviction. And Peter said to them, well, repent. Turn around from the way you're going in life and turn to Christ. Turn and give your life to Christ, the one I've just talked to you about that gave his life for you. And then he says, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, we know in the Bible it teaches that when we come to Christ, he comes and seals that commitment with his Holy Spirit. And then Peter finishes off, he says, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Who are those people that he calls? Well, he calls those that when you hear his voice calling you, he's calling you. Don't turn him down. The Bible says this is the day of your salvation. Accept him today. Don't let him pass by. Receive him in your life today. And um, as I said last week, I'll say it again, uh, they, they may, you may be very grateful for this in verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. That's, that is preaching the gospel. With many other words, he exhorted them, and he testified of his own. I'm sure he was saying about when he saw Jesus being brutalized, and the servant girl is saying, weren't you, aren't you one of them? And he says, no. And Jesus had told him, you are going to deny me three times by the time that rooster crows. And sure enough, he did. I'm, I've got a feeling he was, with many other words, he was telling them of his testimony and his walk with Jesus for three years. And, um, and then he says, look, be saved from this crooked or perverse generation. That's what we're doing. We're saying, Lord, we, we live in a, in a crooked, perverse generation. God created beauty, and we messed it up. And God sent Christ to say, well, I'm now sending him to redeem life. And, uh, and then it says, verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added. And to them is an addition in Scripture. 3,000 souls were added. Listen, when the gospel is preached, when Jesus is lifted up, there is addition to his kingdom because God adds to his kingdom. When someone comes to Christ, it is an addition. And a good sign of a healthy congregation, a healthy relationship with Christ is there's going to be fruit in the terms of addition. And God wants us sharing our faith, telling our story that, we've been, that I've been exhorting you with the last three or four Sundays. By sharing your story, it's your story, not anyone else's, people are going to hear and say, I want what you have. And they're going to find out it's Jesus. And it brings addition. So as we do that, as we share our faith, we're going to see addition. Now, that addition doesn't always mean that all of a sudden we've got 500 people at Calvary Alliance. We have said many times here at Calvary that there is an, there's been addition after addition after addition over the years 
And now they're all over the world. They're all over in different parts of the country. They come in and we embrace the next few verses I'm going to read. We embrace those verses as central to the ministry here at Calvary Alliance because it's central to Christian life. And we embrace the scriptures out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, that says that there's been people called to be pastors and teachers and evangelists and, and, and prophets, and they are to equip God's people for a work of service, bring maturity, bring health. We embrace that scripture, and we say we're going to be about equipping. So as much as sometimes it disheartens us, I think back just a few years ago, you brought a brother in here, and he, man, within like four weeks, he was getting orders to go to Wisconsin. Well, I know, uh, you know, <laughs> we have Claudine come in, who I met at the spin class. She comes in, she comes to prayer meeting, we're able to minister to her in a powerful way for what, like three months? And then her husband gets transferred to Fargo. It's like, no, <laughs> don't, please keep adding to our number. Well, I, I'm not adding to your number, I'm making an addition to the kingdom. And we have to keep that in mind and keep sharing our testimony, keep sharing what he's done for us, and keep sharing those stories. When someone asks you about our church and about our congregation, tell them the truth about it. <laughs> I almost was hesitant to tell, to tell Amanda the truth when she first reached out, like, well, right now we, we don't have kids, and I knew they had kids, and I'm like, oh, I've got to tell her somehow, and I couldn't in the first message I sent to her. So then she said, by the way, do you have anything for four or five-year-olds? Oh, I knew the question was coming. Why wasn't I honest at first? But you needed to amen, amen. Well, and I'm so glad you're here, and I was so encouraged. I was sweating, and oh, I had to do deodorant on myself. And but why, why, you know, why not just say we are going to proclaim the gospel? You come in here and spend some time with us. You're going to be challenged with, do you know Christ? And then once you say, no, I don't, but I want to, and then you know him, then we're going to say, now make him known among those that you're around. <clears throat> so he goes on. After all, he's exhorted with these many words. And he says, uh, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day 3,000 souls were added to them. Can I just mention on this too? You know, we're talking about bylaws. We have to have, unfortunately, in this day and age, we have to have legalism in paperwork, legalized paper documents to protect us as believers from this crooked, perverse generation that we say we stand on the gospel, we stand on the Bible, and the Bible is true, and all those things. And if we don't have the wordage just right, we could get into a lot of trouble. So we have to do that just to protect ourselves. It's crazy, but that's the way it is. And we're going to honor our national office that says get a hold of that. So, but in our documents, we say we have two ordinances. One of them is the communion. The second one is baptism. In other words, baptism is something we're going to practice. Baptism is not your salvation. Baptism says you are saved. It says, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want to testify of that in front of my church family. 
and my unsaved family if I have unsaved family. And it is for believers. Now there's also argument for baptizing children. There is argument for that. Cornelius' house, they all got saved. There was probably most likely children there. So that is used as an argument to say that the children were baptized too. What we do with children, we say as parents, when parents know Jesus and they've accepted Jesus, they say, I want to know Christ and I want to make him known. Well, the first place you make Jesus known is with your children. That is your mission field. Always remember Pauline said, the Lord showing her that the children, our four children, were her mission field. And, and so th- then what we do with the children as parents, we dedicate them to the Lord. We say we are dedicated ourselves to God. We're going to dedicate our children to God. And we're going to pray like crazy and teach like crazy and bless like crazy and proclaim our testimony to our own children, tell our own story to our children, and pray that those kids will come to Christ. And when they come to Christ, then they can be baptized. And it's a great blessing because children can stand up. And I tell you what, all ages are all different. They're all maturity and all different levels, you guys. I mean, we had our daughter, Catherine. I don't think, Catherine Pauline will correct me here, but I, I think she was like two or three years old, four years old. She was four years old. I told you she'd correct me, and I love that. But she was, now listen, four years old. And she knows that she's accepted Christ as a Savior, and she can explain it, and she can, she, you knew that she knew what she'd done. Now, the other kids were older. So every child is different. But the focus is that. But here's what I want to say. Even though we have it in our bylaws that the two ordinances, communion and baptism, baptism is like an initiating ordinance. It's, the Bible tells us that's an elementary work of the Christian faith. But what we're going to read next is really four ordinances of a healthy church. Four ordinances of a healthy church. And it's laid out very clearly. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. There's one ordinance. And fellowship. There's a second ordinance. In the breaking of bread, Third ordinance, that is communion. And prayers, that is your fourth ordinance. Those are central to a, in a Christian family, a Christian relationship, a church family. When you get added to the kingdom, those become central ordinances for the rest of your life. And if a church doesn't have them, they're missing the boat they're not standing on biblical, a biblical, solid biblical foundation. Let me uh, read these, uh, these verses again, and then I'm going to talk to you about them. And I'm not going to be able to talk about all these things in these four ordinances, but just what God has been saying to me this morning in regards to how can we live this out ourselves and understand it a little bit better today. Let me just pray before I even read the verses. Father, I've just uh, been blessed this morning with the prayers that have been prayed, with the loved ones we've lifted up. Uh, 
In the midst of sorrow, we've also had laughter. And Lord, uh, we stand before you today as believers in you, Father, and uh, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, hasn't accepted you, hasn't bowed any to you, Lord, oh, Lord, may this be the day. And, and uh, Lord, I pray that we would hear from heaven today in regards to these four particulars, these four ordinances that you would call a church to do, that if we live these things out together as a body of believers, Lord, there is going to be addition. There's going to be revival. There's going to be health. And so, Lord, we need to hear from you in this. In, in Jesus' name, amen. So let me, you know, I have a Bible back in my office that it, it, it's kind of pulls from 26 different translations. Nowadays, you can go online and you can look up all different translations. It's a wonderful blessing. But I've just pulled out some of these different translations. When it says in my New King James that they continued steadfastly, this is what some of the translations say in that. They went on to give constant attention they were, they were constants in attendance. They devoted themselves. I think that's the NIV. They devoted themselves. They occupied themselves continually. They met constantly. They were continually devoting themselves. They were loyal. And then from... An, uh, Translation, it says, they steadfastly persevered, devoting themselves constantly. Can you get the idea? There was a devotion, and it was constant, and they were loyal to it. To what? And then the four principles or doctrines or four ordinances, however you want to look at those things, these central principles in the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching, learning the teaching of the apostles, and they joined in their fellowship. They were devoted to this. It says in here in verse 43 in chapter 2, then fear came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, I'm jumping down. I'm not going to focus on that this morning, but there was a concern, a common concern for everybody that everybody would be cared for. Then verse 46 is what I want you to see here. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They were in one accord, one mind, in this devotion to these principles, this teaching. Now we have the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's one book. And there's life as we read this book. You cannot... You cannot, um, if you sit and, and devote yourself to this book, you'll never ever get to the end of it. And it's so rich, it breathes life into you. If you have questions, it answers them. If you have concerns, it gives you hope. 
It shows you who to lean on and where to go. It shows, it's, it's throughout this book. And the neat thing about it is, if you have a translation of a Bible that I have called the, called the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, and you can get them in all different, denom- in the different uh, 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 what do you call it? I've lost my train of thought. Translation, thank you, different translations. Thompson Chain, it's a chain, everything's linked. You study this verse, it links you to this verse, it links you to this verse, it links you to this verse. And for me or for anyone that is going to prepare for a message or prepare to teach, you start getting into those links and pretty soon you're down this long trail and you're going, wait a minute, I got I to gotta, I gotta go back down the chain and get to where I was because I've just opened up this whole vastness of God. But you, you can, you, you, in, in what, 30 to 40 minutes you're going to, no, you've got to come down here to go, this is for today, and we'll be patient for tomorrow. And it's so, I can tell you from my own experience, it's so rich, the doctrine. Listen to the disciples. And then it says fellowship. If there's anywhere I wanted to focus this morning, not wanted to focus, the when I found myself focusing was on this word Fellowship. And trying to understand what that means, and then us as a church family to live it out. Now, I know we're going to be in the breaking of bread. We're going to go to the communion. And I'm trusting that as, even as we think about studying the, the teaching of the apostles, teaching of the word, and being challenged why the Holy Spirit might be challenging you with personally, that through this idea of what I'm going to share in terms of fellowship, It'll enable you to prepare well for taking the communion with us today. This word, fellowship. Fellowship, I've written down here, leads to fruitfulness. It's a kind of fellowship. This word, this kind of fellowship is, it's a fellowship that makes contact. We often think about, like like the other week when we, we had the celebration for Gerald and Mary, who've been in this church for 42 years, and now they're moving to Alexandria, Minnesota. We're losing a precious couple. I love Gerald and Mary. And so we had a meal for them. We, we, we got a cake for them. We sent them off well, and we're going to stay in touch with them. And the fellowship is, we, 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 we sit down, we lay out the food. There's never a shortage of food here. One time we had prime timers, we had three servings of beans. I don't know. And then last time we had prime timers, we had no beans. So I think, you know, we've got to sometimes coordinate those things. That's why there's a sign-up sheet, praise the Lord. Now, when he's talking about fellowship here, he's not necessarily talking about having a, a, a meal together like that. Like, and then just sitting around and having a laugh and having fun and telling our stories. When he's coming to this devotion to the doctrine and fellowship, it's a different openness. He's talking about the willingness on your behalf to make spiritual contact with a brother or sister in Christ. That's the kind of fellowship he's talking about 
that is a principle, a central principle, an ordinance, if you will, that leads to addition and healthy church life. Now, there's a, the, the, there's a challenge there for all of us because in order for us to go there to spiritual openness, it requires you to trust in Christ because you're taking a risk of opening yourself up to another brother or sister with the things that maybe Christ has been doing in your life, maybe Christ wants to do in your life, maybe Christ is prompting you and you found that you weren't able to do it on your own. And he's trying to explain to you, you need this devotion to the doctrine. The doctrine is going to lead you to fellowship and you're going to trust me with the openness that's going to lead you to be able to have communion with one another and communion with Christ. And we're afraid of that. We're a little bit afraid of that. We're, we're good. And now this is, this is the, I'm not, believe me, now I'll, let me just make sure that you understand. If you come here on a Wednesday night to our prayer time, we, we practice this fellowship. If you come to prime times, we do have the meal, but we have a time of opening up spiritually one to another. That takes time to be able to be confident enough and encouraged enough and bold enough to say, well, here's who I really am. And you've got to know that everyone is having the same devotion to the doctrine, to Christ, that wants to know Christ and wants to make him known because that's the place where you can trust the most. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor that was martyred right before the end of World War II, he said that when you want to get close like that with someone, open up like that, have this kind of fellowship which will lead to spiritual fruitfulness and you want to make this intimate contact, share with somebody that is familiar with the cross themselves. Now, that's an important point. That if you, if you have something which you know you need to go deep with God, and you need help to go deep, it's important that you're doing that with somebody that you know, a brother or a sister. Sometimes it might be a female uh, situation, uh, something that a woman, another woman would understand that another man doesn't even need to hear, but it would help you go deeper in your relationship with Christ. Well, then go to a woman that you, you are starting to recognize that that woman, she is familiar with the cross. What do I mean by that? She's familiar with grace. She's familiar with making mistakes. She's familiar with restoration. She's familiar with discovering hope. And so when you go there in your brokenness, in the fellowship, this kind of fellowship, then you're going to be able to say, here I am, warts and all. And that sister or that brother will look at you, put his hand on you, put her hand on you, and say, let me give you some hope. And you know when the Bible says that we're able to comfort people with the things that we've been comforted in. You see, that's, that's the kind of person you want to go to. You have to discover that. And you discover that in listening. You discover that in watching. 
you can see, you can recognize. And so uh, what can happen in the church is that we can become so focused on the structure of a church, its leadership, and its planning, and all these things, which are needed. And we forget that there are, there are people and human beings that desperately need to grow in their love of Christ and for Christ. Now, there's a book um, that I want to recommend. And uh, so if you forget what I tell you, you can go and listen to this video online. But it's called The Trellis and the Vine. This is a, this is a great book uh, written, written uh, it's, of course, it's out of Great Britain, so it's going to be really good. <clears throat> but the idea is in this trellis in the vine, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a gardener, Pauline's a gardener, so let me make that clear when I, when I explain this next thing. But a trellis is, you put a trellis up and then the vines can grow on that trellis, right? Am I about right there? Something like that. So, and it can connect and grow up and be tall. And uh, so it needs a trellis and then you've got the vine. Well, in this book, he starts out in his first chapter and he says that in his own back garden, I think in America we'd say backyard, in his own back garden, he has two trellises. There's one trellis way in the back and it's the trellis. You can look at it and there's a trellis and there's no vine on it. Now, he's never, he doesn't know, because he's moved into this, it was there when he, when he moved in, he doesn't know if anybody ever planted a vine to grow on that trellis, or whether they just built the trellis, it's painted, it's nice, it looks pretty, but it's a trellis. And then there's another trellis that he can't see, because it's so overgrown with the vines, all interlinked. And in fact, he said, the vine is so heavy that sometimes the trellis will break away from the fence it's attached to, and he has to reach in there and reattach the trellis to the, the trellis to the fence. What he's trying to say here is, is that a church, it's so important. If we, if we lose this idea of fellowship being a type of contact, a deeper contact, a spiritual contact, then we might end up with people studying the doctrine of Christ, the Bible, and knowing it well, but not growing emotionally and spiritually healthy, which is the vine part. And, and so, so much of the focus can be put on the structure, and then people say, well, we got a good church, we got great leaders, we got this, we got that, we got J team and K team, we got all those things sorted out, and we, we, we can keep this place looking nice. But where are we spiritually? Where is this fellowship? Where is this devotion to fellowship? When do we have a conversation of spiritual things? Where are you with Christ? What is going on in your life? How can I pray for you? How can I lean in? How can you lean into me? I need you. You need me. Let's get together and we grow. That's the vine part. We still need the structure. We never eliminate the structure. We need the teachers. We need the classroom. 
We need the children's ministries. We need the worship. We need the audiovisual. All those things that make a church kind of be a church. But man, if you forget the vine and just have the trellis, you're in trouble. So this kind of fellowship again, fruitful fellowship, it's the kind that makes contact. Contact with Christ and contact with one another. Spiritual fellowship. In Sunday morning groups, we can have that fellowship where the word is studied, but where personal lives are shared that connect with the study. Coffee time, women's groups, but where the word is shared, where the Bible is opened. When you, when you go into someone's home or you reach, meet at the coffee, have your Bible. You've got it on the phone now. You've got your Bibles on the phone. What scripture is speaking to you that you can share with one another. So for today, I mean, I don't want to belabor this truth, but when we come to the communion table and thinking about this devotion and thinking about where we might be, I can just share something personal that I felt led to look at this week for myself and for us as a church. In terms of, if you're listening to me this morning and you're saying, you know, I haven't quite got to that place where I have been able to, I say, hear what you're saying about devotion, and I am devoted to God's word, but I haven't quite got to that kind of intimate contact with a fellow brother or sister. I just quite not get myself to risk that. And so therefore, there isn't necessarily the fruitfulness that God would want in your life. Or maybe you're looking at a friend or another brother or another sister that you know that they're not rich like the vine growing on a trellis. And you think, ah, what can I do for my friend? How long is this going to take? I was challenged myself with a parable that Jesus gave uh, when, he, when he was uh, in Luke chapter 13, verse, starting in verse 6, where he says he also spoke this parable. Well, let me explain just before I read it. It's that um, when you come to church sometimes, a preacher like myself can preach, and we got to be careful that we're not sort of sending people home without hope. Like what you just shared with me, I'm not, I haven't been intimate. I haven't had the contact. People may listen to this online and they may be wrestling with this. Like they're not coming to church, not going to church because they were maybe took advantage of in church. Maybe they opened up to somebody that took advantage of them and they weren't confident, confident there was no confidentiality. There wasn't the trust. And so therefore they're sitting at home and they might hear this message now and I want to say, you come to a place that's healthy, not just with the trellis, but with the vine. You're going to grow. And we need to ask God to give us all patience. Let me read this parable out of Luke 13. It says, A certain man had a fig tree, and it was planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, he says, for three years I've... I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. So then cut it down, would you? 
Why does it use up the ground? Sometimes when we don't see fruit in someone, a reproduction, a reproducing Christian, a Christian that's growing, a Christian that is not even willing to open up in fellowship with us, but not even willing to open up truly to Christ, we can get impatient. We can be like this, with this man that owns this vineyard. Cut it down. Why does it even take up the ground? We want healthy folks. But he answered and he said to him, Sir, would you let it alone for a, a year also until I dig around it and fertilize it? And if it bears fruit, well, great. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Lord, would you just give us a year? Would you give me a year with my brother and my sister? Lord, they just don't, they haven't opened their heart, their heart, their arms. They're nervous about it. They're fearful. They're fretful. Lord, give me, give us a year as a church, Lord. Give us a year to dig around and fertilize the soil around them. That's the equipping of the saints for a work of service. That is yourself falling in love with Jesus and then sharing the love of Christ with others. It's saying, I care about this person so much. I'm not going to judge them where they're at. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see where they can be. I'm going to have the kind of heart that Jesus had when he was on the cross. When he says, forgive them, for they, do, they know not what they do. As you dig the soil... And as you fertilize it around, the, around them, the vine that's going to grow up on the trellis. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You can be an interceder for that person that's struggling. Pray for them. Lift them up. Say, in the name of Jesus, I wanted them to have the hope that you've given me, and I'm going to intercede for them. I'm going to pray for them. That's what we do here on Wednesday night. We take these prayer cards right here, and if you, if you come to this church, your name will be on a prayer card, and your name will be here, and you every, want somebody at the prayer night gets this card with your name on it, and then we have to keep adding to this, and everybody, everybody is prayed for, and then our community, as the Lord leads, is prayed for. Then our nation is prayed for. Then our, then our city is prayed for. Our government is prayed for. All these things that are going on are prayed for. As the Lord leads, there's intercessors. There's another scripture that says, and I'm just talking about this idea of give us a year, Lord. I beg you, Lord. We'll dig the soil. We'll fertilize it, Lord. In Joel 2.17, he says, let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. See, that's the kind of prayer to pray for someone that you have, a sister or a brother, that you know struggling. They're trying to find a place of, of fellowship. And do not give your heritage to reproach that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? You want people to say, God is alive in that place. God is alive in that person. 
And so we can intercede. We can go to God, just like Moses did when he pleaded with, the, with, with God. Oh, Lord, don't burn hot against your people, Lord. Give them, a, give them a break, Lord. You brought them out of Egypt. Now, Lord, give them grace. And what did he do? He gave them grace. Let me work with one more season. One more season, Lord. Let me break up the ground. As a closing, coming into the communion, uh, uh, again, I'm, I, uh, my heart again is looking at this idea of this fellowship that needs to be intimate, this fellowship that has to take a risk of opening up, not, not only to Christ, but to each other. It means that sometimes that ground is hard. You, you, in North Dakota here, or you've raised here all your life, or if you've been in a rural area, you know what fallow ground is. You know, ground that was plowed up and then ground that was left and it's got hard and it's got clumps in it. And you put seed on that, it would never grow. The seed would just sit on that ground and would never get into the earth and it could never produce any fruit. And so Hosea in 10, 12 says, break up your fallow ground for it's time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. That, that breaking up fallow ground is saying, God, I want to have this intimacy with you. And I want to have this intimacy with my brothers and my sisters. Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, I, I am so calloused. My, my heart is it's like, it's like I've closed myself off. I don't want to take the risk. And so, but Lord, I am going to, I'm going to, through faith, I'm going to begin to cut in here myself and say, Lord, I am opening myself to you and I'm going to take a risk. And we can start by coming to Christ personally and we can, we can continue by coming to the table personally and then once we've had that intimacy with Christ, we can then begin to get intimate with one another. I got an article here. I didn't want to give you the title because I figured some of you might Google it and read it instead of listening to the sermon. But I'm going to give you the name of this article and I want you to Google it and then print a copy off and read it. This is one of my favorite old dead guys, John Henry Jowett. And, it's, and I've, used, I've talked about this before since I've been here. It says, contact, but not communion. Contact, but not communion. And I just want to take a few highlights. You read this article. If you like poetry, if you like poetic uh, descriptions, this is a wonderful, wonderful teaching of how to break this, this idea this, this where we're not opening up to Christ, we're not opening up to one another. We, we, we find ourselves devoted to the doctrine, but when it comes to devoted to fellowship, we, yeah, that's risky. Well, you've got to risk yourself at the communion table as well. And he says this, he says, truth may be up against the soul, and, there, and yet there may, may be no fellowship. I'm just pulling out some, some quotes he makes in here. There is a soul in touch with truth, but not free. In touch with life, but not alive. In touch with God, but not sharing the nature of God. God is near, but the soul does no business. Hands touch, but they do not clasp in holy covenant. There is contact, but no communion. It's a big challenge for us, isn't it? The truth in conscience is immediately near me, as near as the seed that rests on the wayside. The divine is in contact with the human. 
What may we do with it? First, we may not recognize it. It may be a seed, just like many other seeds which have been wafted to us on the wings of the wind. God's saying is mixed up with other sayings. His truth is buried among human guesses and opinions. He goes on to say, what shall we do with the truth? Shall we take it in and assure a harvest, or shall we leave it out and assure a desert? The seed touches, shall it be only contact, or shall it be communion? Listen, the seed of the word of God is touching you today. The seed of Christ, that he died for you, he loves you, and he wants you to receive him into your life. It's contacting you, but will you commune with him? Will you open up your heart and say, break up the fallow ground, Lord, and come and rain righteousness down on me? I say we cannot help the contact, Jowett goes on, but we can refuse the communion. See, when you come into church, you, you can't help the contact, but you can refuse the communion. You can refuse that deep fellowship. You can refuse the idea of going deeper and opening up. We may bow to pray. There may be touch, but no grip. Think of that one. Wow. In the Feast of Holy Sacrament, which is the bread, we may handle the bread and so touch the very hem of the garment, and yet there may be no sacred union. We may go away from the service in the assumption that we have had communion when we've only been in contact with the Lord. The seed touches the wayside, but it's not taken in. There's a lot more in this article, but I, I'll just finish this last chapter. Um, he promises to be with you. He says, he shall, he shall be with you and shall be in you. That's his promise from Scripture. He says, the very desire to receive the truth. This is the answer here for you when you come to the table. The very desire to receive the truth draws the seed into the secret place of the soul. That's what begins to break up the fallow ground. The mere desire to say, I must have Christ. The will to commune means that communion has begun. And when I kneel in sincerity, I'm open the door to the heavenly guest. If any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. That is the promise of the master. It's never been re-yoked. It has never been unredeemed. There is no unwillingness on the part of the Lord. The unwillingness rests with us. If thou wilt. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments within thee. And the willing soul will discover the Lord in the innermost room of the soul. Will you fellowship with him? Will you fellowship with this table? Will you open yourself up to Christ? Will you say, come in, Lord Jesus, make your home in me. And then when you receive this bread and receive this cup, and you go to walk out of here, will you have a desire, would you be willing to take a risk and not just contact a brother or sister, but commune with them? Find someone that's familiar with the cross and go commune with them. You will find your vine will grow and my vine will grow if you share with me. My vine will grow if I share with you. It is mutual. God loves you. And he wants us to be devoted to the doctrine, to the teaching, 
to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. We'll talk more about this, but right now we're going to come and we're going to ask you to do like you did last month, to come forward as the Lord leads you, to examine your own heart. I trust you've been doing that while I've been speaking. You take the cup, the bread, go back to your chair and say, Lord, I want to take a risk. I, want, I desire to commune with you. I just don't want contact with this bread and the cup. I want communion with what that bread means and what that cup means. I want to know deep in my heart the forgiveness that you give me, the hope that you give me, the future that you have for me. In Jesus' name. So let's stand.